Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. <laughs> I'm in a weird mood. I'm just going to say that right at the front. I'm in a weird-ass mood today. I, I don't know. Not, not in a bad way, just in a goofy mood. I'm in yeah. a very goofy mood today. So, Yeah, I know. You've been talking for like an hour. <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> I, I hadn't talked to you for a while. I had a lot to say. No, you made me laugh. Your goofiness made me laugh. I okay. appreciate that. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely Ariel. Hello. Hey, girl. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. I had a little bit of a weird day because we postponed recording a little bit, and I uh-huh. actually ended up falling down like a TikTok rabbit hole. Oh, <laughs> no. This way lies madness. Yeah. Well, my niece demanded, basically, that I download the app because she wanted to send me funny videos. And okay. That's cute. Yeah. Yes. It's adorable, and they're very funny. But... I don't know what I did to the algorithm by looking at different stuff, but all of a sudden, (laughs) (laughs) it was all sea shanties. Oh, that is not where I thought this was going to (laughs) go. I thought for sure your weird law of attraction of sexual weirdos for sure was going to make it be something super creepy. Instead, it's just very strange. Although I love a sea shanty, to be honest. I do. I do, too. I just didn't know that Gen Zers were into sea shanties. (laughs) There were. What? Gen Zers are into sea shanties. Well, I don't know. According to TikTok, it sure seems like it. There's a sea shanty and then people duet it and like add their voice to it. So then it becomes like a thing where it sounds like a whole boat of fishermen are singing a sea shanty. And then there's this other person who takes popular songs like a Taylor Swift song or something and turns it into a sea shanty, sings it as though it were a sea shanty. Man, yeah. quarantine is doing strange things to our minds. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but also, I kind of, can you send me one? I kind of want to see it now. Sure. All right, cool. I do love a sea shanty. It makes, uh, although I immediately just thought of that Blow the Man Down movie. <laughs> yes. So good. Oh, my that God. Movie so is that's so not good. technically a horror movie, but here's my PSA listeners. If you have not seen this, it is on Amazon Prime. I think, Ariel, you're the one that introduced it into my life. Yeah. Which is so Blow good. the Man Down. It's like sort of like a Coen Brothers crime thriller type of thing, except for it's all hearty ladies. And there are, yes. and then occasionally sea shanties. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't sell you, what are you even doing on this podcast? I know. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it is so good, though. I I wish there were more of that movie. If it was yeah. an ongoing series, I would be very happy. In Rachel's America, that shit would have been greenlit into a series. Yes. Yeah, like Fargo. We need right? A... Yes. I think of all, like, every week you could theme it around a th- sea shanty. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it would be so good. Yeah, Come I had on, no universe. idea how much I liked a sea shanty until I saw that movie. And I was right? like, oh, this is something I'm into. Weird. Yeah, it touches your soul on some sort of primal level. The generations yeah. past who have braved the seas are coming through <laughs> our generational DNA or whatever it's called. <laughs> I told you I'm in a weird mood tonight, guys. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me, man. <laughs> oh, okay, well. We're not here to talk about Blow the Man Down. Today, we're going to be talking about a movie called The Love Witch, directed by one Anna Biller. And this is a me pick. And so I'm very, very excited to get Ariel's take on it. Before we get started, do we have any housekeeping or corrections or anything? I don't think so. Okay. I hope not. <laughs> I know, right? Because <laughs> if we do, I didn't catch it. So. Okay, good, good, good. And we all know I checked nothing, so I guess we did 100%. Yay! <laughs> all right, cool. Well, before we get into the review, though, we need to set the rules of the road. What are our spoiler policies here on the More Deadly Podcast, Ariel? Yeah, if you've never listened to us before, we spoil everything. We're going to talk about the entire movie, all the twists and turns. We're going to tell you the ending. We're going to spoil the whole thing just right in the synopsis. So just be forewarned. And this movie is fucking awesome. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then come back and listen to us talk about it. For sure. It's on Prime. Put it in your eyeballs. Yep. 
and then turn around and watch Blow the Man Down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the weird double feature. Double feature. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What does that say? What does that double feature have to say? I mean, that's the misandry double feature. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I guess I go first, right? <laughs> Yeah. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I just had, I think it's the hot chocolate. It just like went straight to my brain. (laughs) Sugar high. My brain's not ready for all this sugar. And it's just like, ah, (laughs) it was worth it. I don't care. I love it. Okay. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Anna Biller and also the creation of this hair movie film, because it is pretty interesting. She is very interesting. And then also there's some drums. We'll get into it, though. I always get the most dramatic behind the scenes. Yeah, you really do. I'm super curious about this one just because the only thing I really know about it is that she did a ton of stuff behind the scenes Mm -hmm. for this movie, not just directing. So I'm very curious. Yes, it was news to me when I discovered it in my research about Mm. all the behind the scenes stuff. But we'll get into it. First, let me tell you about Anna. Okay, so she was born and raised in Los Angeles, and she grew up around artists and celebrities because her father is a painter and her mother is a, she's a woman named Sumiko and she is a fashion designer who to this day has a store in Santa Monica and she was a self-taught pattern maker and sewer who basically kind of did this in her spare time got in with a very artistic crowd and eventually started making clothes for celebrities she's dressed julie newmar she dressed angelica houston who considers her to be her favorite designer so and she basically was kind of in with sort of the arty intelligentsia right and so that definitely had an influence on anna growing up And her mother was also extremely passionate about old Hollywood films, specifically pre-Hays Code films, Mm, and she would use them as the inspiration behind her designs. And so growing up, Anna would always watch her mother sitting on the floor, cutting out fabric, cutting out patterns, and in the background having all of these movies playing. And so they are also very influential on her work. What a cool childhood. Right? Yeah. And actually, if you're interested in this, she has a website and on her website, she has a blog and there's a really great, beautiful piece that she's written about her mother. That was fascinating. I was supposed to be researching and doing my homework, but instead I just spent a half hour reading this beautiful article about her mom and her dad. And like, yeah, it's really great. She's man. You know, all these women are always so inspirational when we're we're yeah. talking about them. And I'm always struck by how smart and how creative these people are. And Anna Biller is no exception to that. I sense that I'm going to be going back and reading a lot of her blog posts. She had this really great piece about why we should stop calling films feminist. Not that they oh, can't be. That's interesting. But our definition of what makes a film feminist is pretty off. And I was like, oh, crap. At first I was like, huh? excuse me <laughs> i'm confronted by this statement i shall i i, I had two choices i could either be butt whore about the butt whore but sore <laughs> <laughs> but sore about the headline or i could you know actually read the article and see if she had a point and as it turns out she did it was uh it was actually kind of i feel like it has sort of changed the way that I am now gauging whether or not a movie is feminist. Oh, wow. Okay. I've got to read that then. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. So I would definitely recommend checking that out as well on her site. All right. So growing up around all these artists definitely inspired her to be very creative. And she ended up going to UCLA and getting her MA in art and an MFA at CalArts for art and film. Wow, good for her. Yes. After she graduated, she made a series of critically acclaimed short films, but she made her first real big splash when she did her first feature film, Viva, which has kind of given her a bit of a cult following. The film is actually about a bored housewife who goes in search of sexual adventure in the 1970s. Ooh, okay. Yes. It premiered at the International Film Festival Rotterdam and won the Best of the Fest Award at the Boston International Film Festival. Damn, now I want to see that. Yes, I'm very interested in seeing It's kind of episodic, and it's got her, supposedly, I haven't seen it yet, but it has her same sort of dry sense of humor. And okay. she's very intentional about making sure that her movies are from a female gaze. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So like The Love Witch, it's a very erotic film. And it was the intent was to tell, like I said, a story through the female gaze. And as a result, because there was nudity and it was erotic, it kind of put her on the radar of a lot of pro-sex work people who sort of tried to claim her as their own, which is something that she's actually not down with. She takes 
a lot of issue with the sex work industry, which oh, okay. I'm personally kind of conflicted about. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so I read more about it and she kind of explained her issues with sex work has nothing. It's not a moralistic stance. It's much more about sex trafficking and exploitation. Cause she was talking about how there is a certain small percentage of sex workers who do it by choice and want to do it. But she feels like the people who are pro-sex work are spokespeople for them, and it kind of ignores a lot of the exploitation in the industry. And I'm like, okay, there's a valid point there. I still feel kind of conflicted about it. Yeah. But it's different than her from. being anti-porn, you know? Right, right. The other thing is, is she's very inspired by feminism as a political movement and is very involved with the history of film and how pre-Hayes Code, it was very female gaze oriented. There was a lot more women writers. The female characters were a lot stronger and had a lot more freedom. And then... Yeah, that's really true. I mean, if you watch old black and white movies from those days, there are so many really powerful, strong female characters, just kind of like a given because they're in right. so many movies. Right. And so the evolution of film with the Hayes Code, it basically a lot of the things that it limited was women's roles yeah and so the shift of the films went away from things like noirs with these femme fatales and musicals and glamorous things that were both by and for a female audience it's shifted to a male gaze which eventually turned into exploitation in the 60s and she has a lot of ideas about how sexual liberation failed women and that it gave them more freedom, but it was all based around meeting male needs. Mm, okay. It's very complex. Like I said, reader blog. It's very interesting. I think she approaches it with a lot of nuance. I don't a hundred percent agree with everything she's saying, but it's very thoughtful. And I think it comes from a thoughtful and good place as opposed, even though the conclusions, maybe we don't totally align. It's not puritanical where she's right. coming from, which is where I would, I think, take more issue with it. So, I don't know. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, like I said, complicated. Anyway, on her site, she described her filmmaking process is actually very personal, which is, I guess, not that much of a surprise. The way she explains it is she says that she tries to translate her experience of living in the world into her films, right? Specifically, she wants to make st write stories about lived day-to-day -day experiences of women and she wants to create cinema based around specifically the pleasure of women mm, of okay. for women and of women which i think you can definitely see the influence quite a bit yeah. in this movie right yeah definitely yeah so as i said her films are heavily influenced by exploitation aesthetics but she draws a very strict comparison between those films and her films. Basically, she says she's trying to do here. She says it's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do. That stuff is interesting in the history of censorship, but they're often just really bad movies. I'm in conversation with earlier movies and my own fantasy is about being a woman and overthrowing patriarchal oppressions that I face in my life. I can't get into the mind of a male producer in the 1960s who's making exploitation because those films were made for men's pleasure. They didn't include women as a viewer or a spectator, whereas a movie like Marnie does. I don't really have a connection to exploitation because I just see it as a precursor to pornography. I am in conversation with the pornography that's all around us. Oh, that's interesting. Right? That's yeah. what I'm saying. She's, I, like I said, I don't always totally agree with everything she's saying. But I feel like it comes from a real yeah, personal philosophy and a lot of thought. and thoughtful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which I find to be very interesting. And I don't mm -hmm. have to 100% align with everything and still be yeah, of course. very compelled by the thought process. It challenges me in a way that someone who has diametrical views to mine doesn't. Like I'm like, mm, now we're in a gray area of nuance and I'm kind of interested in exploring more of this yeah so i found it confronting but also very interesting to read her writing so and i think you would too so perhaps she's best known for how much control she likes to have over her films <laughs> i mean okay. it's, it's extraordinary but so for instance on the love witch she did pretty much everything she wrote directed edited she wrote and composed original songs she created all the art for the movie she created the sets 
and she even patterned and sewed all of the costumes. Holy crap. I thought she designed them. I did not know she also yeah. made oh, no, them. No. She had like a little closet that she sewed in. She wanted to get an assistant, but it was so small she couldn't fit an assistant in the closet. So wow. she just did it all herself. Because she Holy was hoping shit. she'd have someone who could do hymns and ironing. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Physically could not fit someone in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, again, a part of her overall filmmaking philosophy. So this is, again, from her site. She says, what she's trying to do is create, quote unquote, proper art in that it's basically comes from a definition from, I think, Joyce about what proper art is. So it's not moralistic, but what qualifies as true art. She said, I try to control everything that goes into the film frame. Thus, in my work, I am trying to do something most unusual to create, quote unquote, proper art films masquerading as popular films. So while I'm quoting genres, I'm using them not as a pastiche, but to create a sense of aesthetic that arrest and to insert female point of view. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> She's very academic in the way yeah. that she writes and the way that she thinks, <laughs> which I think is very interesting. Very yeah, but I mean, I have a lot of respect from somebody who is willing to work that hard to make their vision come across on screen. It's very impressive. Definitely. So it's interesting that you say that. Oh, <laughs> so <dear>. the movie <laughs> took about eight weeks for principal photography. Oh, but the production, including pre-production and post-production, took seven and a half years. Oh, my God. <laughs> it yeah. makes so much more sense now how she was yeah. able to get it all done. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So essentially she had funding for the film, but the funding only covered the actual production. Oh, so she had to self-fund everything else. Wow. So between the actual labor that it took and all it to create the sets and sew the things and do all the stuff, she also had to fundraise for that or, you know, save the money or somehow come up with the funds for it. So all in all, it ended up taking quite a long time to make this movie. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So like I said, there's a little bit of drama. Okay. But before, last thing before we get into that, the spicy <laughs> stuff. Okay. So a little bit more about the filmmaking itself. It was shot on 35 millimeter celluloid, which is part of what gives it the look that it has. It, you yeah, know, that it has that sense. very 60s mm -hmm. yes. hammer-esque sort of, you know, sexy vampire aesthetic that we all love. But that also is in combination with the lighting scheme. So she worked with a DP named M. David Mullen, and he was someone she actually was in film school with, and he was someone she wa she wanted to work with him. She was she was determined to work with him because she had worked with him before, and she knew that he actually understood the way that the lighting is done for these. It's a dying art essentially. Basically, okay. everybody now wants very naturalistic looking art, and this was this the way that the lights are set up for this is it's they use the lights to create layers and depth of field. Okay. But it looks staged. It, it intentionally looks staged. So, and it was something that came out of the black and white film era, essentially. And so people don't really study it anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. They want everything to look very real. So she was, I, she was determined to work with him. So she asked him time and time again to, to do the film. And he turned her down, turned her down, turned her down. Finally, she wore him down and he agreed. And they made the film together. <laughs> <laughs> Are you surprised that she was uh, determined? I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> that feels very on brand. Yeah. Everything sure I've read about her. <laughs> okay. So now let's get into the juicy stuff. Okay. Okay. So as much hard work went into the actual pre-production and getting it all together, the biggest test that she faced in all this was actually the eight weeks of shooting. Oh. So several months after the movie came out, it did the festivals, was a huge hit. You know, people were freaking out about it. She went onto Twitter and she spilled a little bit of tea. Basically, she called out what was a massively toxic work environment. It started with a tweet from Biller that said, fun fact... Most of the crew of the Love Witch, with a few exceptions, hated what we were shooting and did not even see the movie after it was done. Damn. Yeah. So in the thread that follows, and I can send you a link to the thread if you just want to read it all. Okay. Basically, she details how her crew basically became divided into two groups. There was the actors and a few people who have been in the industry forever and the makeup artists all on her side. And then the younger crew who turned against her. 
Wow. Yes. To the point where the, she says they were sabotaging her. What? Some, like, yeah. They had to bring in a second ad- assistant uh, director because the last one has sabotaged her so much. And he like came to her and was like, why is your crew actively sabotaging you? And she's like, I don't freaking know. But they were doing things like they would lie to her and tell her that they had to leave locations before they could get a shot. Saying that they didn't have the permits when they actually did. Or what telling the her, fuck? Yeah, telling her that the people that owned the house she was shooting in wanted them to get out when she found out later. So she had to wrap up and leave. Finding out later they had absolutely no issue with her being there. They would scream mm. over the headpieces at her when she was trying to get specific shots. What the hell happened? That's crazy. Yeah, she said it was very intense. When people asked her, why do you think this happens? She thinks that part of it was that they did not appreciate taking orders from a woman. Mm, yeah. And part of it was that she is extremely controlling about what was going on and they didn't appreciate that, which I think that's, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that um, does. That tracks. What's interesting though, is there are a lot of other women directors in the thread as well, who talk about having similar experiences on set. That is not surprising. Yeah. The other thing she said is she would catch her crew members crowding around the monitors trying to sneak peeks at the naked actors. Wow. Yeah. guys. That's awesome. Fuck. Yep. Yep. Super, super creepy. But despite all that, she still gave everybody who worked on the show. She didn't need to, but she gave everybody credit in the movie. Well, I mean, that's being the bigger person, I suppose. Yeah. Well, they may have been dicks on set, but Biller got the last laugh. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. It was a huge critical success. She's won awards for it. She's certainly earned her name for this. You know, she's developed a pretty intense fan base. You know, she's kind of still sort of underground, but people that like Anna Biller really like Anna Biller. Mm -hmm. And she's talked about her next project. Again, you could read a whole article about the history of the movies <laughs> that inspired it. She calls it her Bluebeard film. Okay, what does a, that mean? Okay, so Bluebeard, I guess, would take wives and then murder them. I don't know. Oh. The pirate, right? If I didn't know anything about pirates, yeah. I, I, I guess. So, but basically what it is, is it's a woman in peril kind of film. And it's okay. about a woman who falls in love with this extremely charismatic man and then right after the wedding finds out that he's actually a sociopath and is dangerous and might try to kill her and it's influenced by movies like marnie gaslight and shadow of a doubt a movie that we have watched from zombie (laughs) girls (laughs) i'm in marnie and shadow of a doubt Uh i want to see that We've got some Ariel bait here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Opening day, Ariel's going to be like, let me in. I need to see this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I have about Anna and the movie. That was awesome. Was that good? Yeah, that was really good. That All was right, fascinating. Good. good, good. All right, well, tell me about this movie. Yeah, sorry. I'm just stuck thinking about what dicks those dudes are. I know, right? Yeah. Part of me was just like, well, I mean, if everybody's against you, is it you? But I mean, I, that's not the best response, admittedly. Right. But it crossed my mind, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. And so then to see sort of those stories corroborated, you know what I mean? It was good for yeah. me to see, so I wouldn't have that little doubt in my mind. But also it kind of reinforced the importance of solidarity, people telling their stories. It would be yep. easy for me, for someone who would believe normally, but there was that little doubt in my head. So like I said, it, the importance of telling your stories, it doesn't just, you aren't just telling your story, but you're also validating other people's stories. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know? So, yeah. and I was just kind of like, well... I told you I'm on a tire slashing spree. I'm going to get their tires too. (laughs) (laughs) Metaphorically. (laughs) Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'd have to leave my house to slash tires. I suppose that is true. So quarantine is (laughs) keeping your tires intact, jerks. (laughs) Thank the quarantine. Uh, Okay. So The Love Witch This is a film about a young woman named Elaine who is on her way to a small northern California town to start a new life after the death slash murder of her husband. Mm -hmm. So when she arrives, she rents an apartment in this beautiful Victorian house and she meets the house's interior decorator who is a woman named Trish and they sort of become friends. Elaine is looking for love and she's a witch so she performs a ritual to find a new lover 
And then right away, she's in a park and she meets Wayne, who is a professor, and they sort of have this weird instant chemistry and he ends up taking her to his cabin where she cooks him dinner and she drugs him and as you do as you do (laughs) um the two of them have sex but then wayne becomes super emotional and clingy which elaine just hates but it's okay because he ends up dying in the middle of the night so (laughs) it all works out (laughs) so elaine buries his body on the grounds of his cabin and she also buries with it a witch's bottle containing her own urine and used tampon yep that and there's a couple lines about the tampon that killed me yes <laughs> so funny so after this trish her interior decorator friend goes out of town and elaine invites her husband richard over for dinner and she serves him a potion and does this interesting dance to seduce him mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they end up getting it on but then richard becomes obsessed with elaine so she leaves him and then poor richard ends up killing himself so while this is all happening though somebody from the university reports wayne the professor dude missing and that starts a police investigation that leads them to elaine Elaine meets the two detectives who are investigating her case, and she becomes infatuated with the lead detective named Griff. And <laughs> are you laughing at the, the names? names and the, <laughs> the names in this movie, yes. I, I, lo- I actually love, I laugh, but I love them. Yeah. I, they're just, there's so much intention in the smallest details, including the names of the yes, characters. Absolutely. <laughs> So they end up sort of going on a horseback riding date that leads them into the woods where they stumble upon her coven, who are having some sort of renaissance fair type thing. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Yeah. And they end up having a faux wedding where they dress them up in, you know, renaissance clothing. So So that happens. Yes, of course. And then Elaine and her coven later end up doing a love ritual for her and Griff. But things sort of go south. Griff ends up finding out some information about her connection to the case. And he gets really depressed and he goes off to this strip club and she meets him there to talk to him. But sort of doesn't work out. He tells her that her DNA links her to Wayne's death and that he's going to have to arrest her. But before he can do that, some of the bar patrons overhear their conversation and start blaming Elaine for the deaths that are happening in the town and start shouting, like, burn the witch, and then they try to rape her. But luckily, Griff is able to help her get out the door. They end up back at her apartment, where she then attempts to drug Griff the way she did with the prior guys. But he kind of, what does he do? I think he spills the cup of wine that she gives him. And then she ends up stabbing him to death. <laughs> and <laughs> as prophesized in her painting. Yes, the amazing paintings. I love those paintings. Me too. <laughs> yeah. When we were watching it, my partner was like, What if I told you that I got you one of those paintings? I'd be like, Give it to me now. <laughs> He's like, What if it's the naked lady with a tiger? I was like, Give it to yes, me now. Yes. 100%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so she stabs him to death and then sort of has a dream imagination thing where she sees them in their Renaissance fair faux wedding clothing kind of running off in the sunset together. And then the movie ends. Oh, I also forgot that there's sort of a running subplot about her coven and the guy that runs it is super weird cult leader dude. Yeah. that happens too. Super rapey. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's talk about things you liked about this movie. What do you think of The Love Witch? I really, really love this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everything about it is so amazing. I mean, it is a visual feast. I know that's sort of a cliche, but I think this is the best example of that. It's yeah. just the most delicious confection visually. It's hyper feminine and just so saturated and full of color and so much style and it shouts at you. But it's also this fluffy Victorian 60s psychedelic fantasy. It's just so delicious for your eyeballs. 
Yeah, everything about this movie looks fantastic. All the sets are really cool. The fashion, the makeup, the hair. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all so perfect. Can I pull off blue eyeshadow? Can I do it? Yeah. So... <laughs> you should try. I, bet I might you could. try. It'll be a very sad. Attempt. No. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my God, her blue eyeshadow. I'm just like, so oh good. My God. And the perfect, she her liner has the perfect flick. See, this that's one of the things that, and again, I know it's influenced by reading the things that Biller was writing about how that's one of the ways in which it's made for women the way that it sort of embraces femininity and also but also glamour you know glamour is something that used to be for women and and then it got co-opted into being beautiful specifically for the male gaze right back in the pre-haze code it was all for the female audience to be like yes it's beautiful i love it It, i enjoy looking at it and i take joy from seeing it and and i definitely got that feeling from this movie i just loved not in an objectifying way, but it's somewhat in an objectifying way. Just looking at her was yeah, so, I feel such like, a pleasurable experience. Yeah, there's so much that's joyful about this movie. And I feel uh-huh. like in a lot of the ways, the way it looks, its aesthetic is perfect for you. Too. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> this is what I would like the world to look like. Right. If I had my way. (laughs) This is pretty much, it would be very pink, very jewel toned and just vintage. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but, and I I love how detailed all the vintage stuff is, right? When Mm -hmm. she first arrives, that vintage suitcase set, my grandma had that suitcase set and it was in blue, but it was that exact same set. And I remember it from when I was a little kid because she still had it. Uh-huh. I wish I had it. <laughs> but, I um... actually have the red train case. <gasps> you do? I do. Oh, I use lucky. it I use it with my makeup bag yeah. when I go travel. Yeah. That's so cool. But it's it's everything. It's that. It's the fact that her lingerie, like all of her underwear, her garter belt and everything, mm-hmm. her stockings, mm-hmm. you know, it's all vintage. It all looks right for the time period. Yep. And even when she's driving in her convertible, they did, I think they did rear projection, right? Because that's it looks perfect yeah. the way old movies used to look. Mm-hmm. So I love all of that. I love that it has that sort of a little bit of that technicolor feel and that she looks like she could have been pulled right off of the Valley of the Dolls set. You yes, know? yes. Everything about the way it looks and feels, I think, is just perfection. It makes sense to me that it took her so long to do it because the details are so spot on and Mm -hmm. so perfect. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that. I also love that it has this kind of surrealistic, dreamy quality to it, you know? Yes. It doesn't quite feel placed in time. I had a question for you about that, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read this, but... So the car that she drives and the car that Wayne, the professor, drives are both old vintage cars. But in the background of some shots, there are newer cars. Was that a choice or because they had to for filming? I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer. But I definitely notice a lot of the anachronistic stuff. I think she even has a cell phone. Yeah. So it made me think a little bit about that movie, The Voices. Do you remember that movie? The one about Ryan Reynolds where he's a serial killer? I never saw that. Okay. Do you care if I spoil things? No, go for it. All right. So this is pretty big spoiler for the voices, but honestly, it's a very cool looking movie and there's good things about it, but it was, it's also extremely sad and depressing. Yeah. I'll never watch it then. (laughs) Yeah. It's why I've never recommended it to you. Yeah. It's actually really fucking sad. Okay. So for the first half of the movie is very stylized, bubblegum, bright colors. He's in pink overalls and his house is full of bright things and his pets talk to him and it's very shiny and like i said bubblegum and then halfway through the movie he goes off his meds oh and then what you see is that he's living in like hoarder squalor and he's this head that he's been talking to is just rotting in his fridge oh shit okay his pets stop talking to him you find out basically it is all an illusion based on the fact that he's on medication and the reality is really dark. And then you find out his backstory is really sad and then it ends in a really sad way. It's just really freaking sad. It's very good, but it just will make you feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was kind of thinking it's almost like her gaze, right? Everything that she's looking at has this overlay of this very idealized aesthetic and then at the periphery 
basically almost like a vignette on the edges of her vision is where you see the real world right yeah and i don't know if that's true and if it was just budgetary but it feels very intentional yeah i mean i feel like if it was just budgetary the cars in the background would make more sense than the cell phone right that's got to be a choice right and i do think that biller's really trying to tell us the story through elaine's eyes yeah that what we're seeing is her worldview yeah so i don't know but that's that that is my theory that's kind of how i reconcile it because it is weird how occasionally things will pop up but you'll see her landlady's car is a newer one yeah but it's not one that she's focused on you know what i mean yeah no so i don't i don't know that's just my that is no i like my you know head (laughs) cannon essentially (laughs) but i mean i think it makes kind of makes sense right no it does i mean elaine sees what she wants to see right that is very ignores everything else yeah so fun fact one of the very last road trips or trips of any kind i took before lockdown okay was to where this movie was shot oh really i didn't know that so it was shot in eureka and arcada and then also some stuff in la but the victorians the town that she drives through all that stuff i that's the last stuff i went and saw coincidentally I didn't even remember that this was shot in Arcata and Eureka. Because when I first saw it, I had never been there, so it didn't really register. So it's just funny to see it. And I was like, when she started driving through Eureka, I was like, oh, my God, is it going to be one of the houses I saw? Oh, my God. (laughs) It's just kind of cool, weird coincidence. Yeah, that is cool. I love that house. Yeah. So I love the way it's painted. You would love Arcata. I mean, that's what it looks like there. Yeah, I've been to Eureka, but I don't think I've ever been to Arcata. Well, Eureka has some amazing, beautiful Victorians. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. So I also love the consistency of the acting style in this because Uh it has that pulpy, soapy 60s vibe about it. The way that they are acting is so different than you would in a modern movie, but it's very intentional and it's consistent across the board, basically. I mean, she obviously more than anybody else is kind of a heightened version of that. Yes. But everybody does it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I love that. And I think it speaks a lot to Anna Biller as a director that she was able to pull that off because I, d- I doubt that's a way that these actors had probably ever acted before. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's very clear. She has a very clear vision of what she yeah. wants. You get the sense she's not a director that was like, let's just see what happens in front of the camera. She is like, this is what I want. Yeah. I can but, definitely And then talk. can elicit it. Yeah. I mean, she pulled off, obviously, what she wanted to accomplish because this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. So. I have a wig cop question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jerry, her oh, husband, the flashbacks. Is not that a wig? Question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the craft wrong. I need to check these things now because I always guess that's can't be true. Trusted. That is true. That is true. You do have a blind spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I can confirm that? Is, okay. That is, there's some sort of system uh, atop, uh, fixed atop his dome. <laughs> For sure. Okay. (laughs) But I appreciate you checking it. All right. All right. (laughs) The other things that I love about this movie are mostly what it has to say, too. I mean, all of it, the plot itself is interesting and it's fun. There's a lot about this movie, the way that it looks and the acting and sort of the beats of the movie that are just really enjoyable and pulpy and fun. But I do think that there are interesting things that it's trying to say about Elaine as a character and women in general that is really interesting because I think you could I think you could look at some of the things she says in the tea house scene or just when she's talking to Trish in general that you could think, okay, well, she's just this overly submissive woman who hasn't sort of moved past that, right? And hasn't sort of come into her own more, but it's really all in her own interest, right? Like she's doing it because she wants to supposedly find love, right? It's all very self-interested and she only wants to please a man in so much as she can get what she wants out of them. And Mm -hmm. she's sort of created this version of herself that is designed in part for male pleasure so that she can get to that end. But she's also really a predator, right? Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting because when you see characters like this in other films, I think you immediately think, well, she lacks agency, except in this situation, she 100% doesn't. And I think that's right. a really interesting you know, point to take. Yeah. I also feel like everything she's saying 
is less about women than it is about an indictment about men. Yeah. And you really see that clearly in her speech at the end when she's talking to Griff at the bar. Right. So when she's co-opting these very regressive attitudes, what she's actually insinuating is that this is who men are. Yep. So I think that is kind of what separates it is that the agenda of the dialogue, the agenda of what the story is actually trying to tell has much less to do with her buying into the patriarchy as it is sort of exposing some shit about the patriarchy. Yeah, I think the movie does a really good job of showing that to you. And then, like I said, in that scene at the bar, it really just brings it home where she says things like, you think your way is a superior way to live and men make us work so hard for your love. Mm -hmm. But if you just love us for ourselves, everything would be fine, but you won't do that. Right. And I think that she says something about how her whole life men have tossed her in the garbage and the only time they've treated her better than that is when they wanted to use her body and i think it's so interesting in that scene because that's exactly then what happens right they attempt to rape her so anyways yeah i just think all of those things that she says are really interesting and kind of distill the entire movie down into just a few sentences if you didn't get it watching it you're gonna get it after that part yeah i mean this movie is very aggressive in its politics yeah it really is i Uh also love that she talks about finding power in witchcraft You know, and that she can, I think she says something about, she uses witchcraft so that she can take power from men instead Mm -hmm. of the other way around. I do think it's interesting, though, that her coven is led by a man. Yeah. Who is a sexual predator. Yeah, he's fucking creepy. Well, I mean, I think it's implied (laughs) that, that there's a gang rape that occurs. Oh, wait. Did I miss that? The reason she flinches around him. Is that when we do see these flashbacks, oh, when she's being right. indoctrinated into the coven, Yeah, there's a gang rape Right, in those early flashbacks. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. I mean, that's what's one of the things that's so interesting about this movie is that because of its very bright and cheerful aesthetic, it sort of juxtaposed against this incredibly dark content that somehow sort of light and palatable as a result of those two things. I mean, some of it is that this movie is just genuinely funny, just bone dry humor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then it also includes content. Like I said, you know, gang rape, murder, mental illness, all kinds of things, lots of really upsetting politics. And yet it, it also at the same time feels very light and breezy while being very very like i said aggressive and unflinching in its politics yeah it's just such a it it is such an outlier of a movie in so very many ways what i think is so interesting about it is it's not just aesthetically artistic you know like a lot of movies you know if it's very artistic the aesthetics of it is what makes it stand out or it has some really complex plot and i don't think the plot is that complex but i do think that there's in addition to it looking really great there's a lot of a lot of depth that the more times you watch this movie the more you can kind of pick up and the more that you sort of decode because it's also a little bit obtuse yeah it's obscured the first time you watch it you're kind of like okay i know there's more than what's happening on the surface but i don't quite understand it but the more you revisit it the more you unpack it you realize that there's so much more going on below this sort of basic plot line yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because it's wrapped in symbolism and also these very brief flashbacks that the first time you see them, they can go by easily. Yeah. But the more you kind of start to recognize what's happening in the paintings and, and things like that, it kind of unveils itself to you in a really interesting way. Yeah, I, I do think she did such a good job layering detail upon detail so that yeah. you're right, even though the plot is simplistic in a lot of ways, there's just so much happening that it doesn't really matter you know yeah i think almost if you'd made the plot more complicated it wouldn't have worked as well okay so the other thing i want to talk about that i liked was the music in this so it's largely from old scores by ennio or ennio marconi marconi now he was the guy who composed the spaghetti western ones right the themes so yes ennio marconi so he did the spaghetti westerns who which of course had extremely iconic Scores. yeah now these are not from any spaghetti westerns i don't i believe but 
whatever. He's obviously very talented. Uh, I'm not super into westerns unless they have one of his scores because <laughs> <laughs> then he creates like a mood piece so yeah. anyways it makes sense that the score would be really great from that considering the source material but the other thing is are the songs that she wrote and had composed oh so there's the one that plays in the victorian tea house Yes. The oh, harpist. the one with the heart player? Okay. The tra la 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 la. That yeah. one. The thing is, is it's subtle, but if you actually listen to the lyrics, they're hilarious. Oh, okay. They're very, very, like I said, dry sense of humor. And then, of course, the bop, the <laughs> rain wormiest song of them all. Love <laughs> is a magical thing, yeah. <laughs> which plays at the Rid Fair. Can I tell you, for two days, oh, it was no. stuck in mine <laughs> and my boyfriend's heads. We're like, love is. A magical thing. <laughs> rainbow. Or it's like unicorn rainbows. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I think she has a very distinct sense of humor and it just speaks to me. It cracks me up. It's not like ha 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 out loud, but it's just very witty. Yeah, that whole Renaissance fair scene is really so amusing. Weird. I love it's it. just I so love weird. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you have any other pros before we move into... Oh, you know what else? One last thing I wanted to say is that... And I know I talked about how I'm kind of reassessing the way that I think about feminist films. But I did think it was interesting that this movie, which I would definitely say is a feminist yes. film. Definitely. Yeah. Because... It is extremely political in the way that it illuminates and unpacks aspects of women's lives and kind of shines a light on oppression, essentially. And so that in and of itself is extremely feminist. But this movie absolutely would fail the Bechdel test, which is something <laughs> oh, that God. I yeah, think I right. would normally that would be a prerequisite for something being a feminist. Sure. Film, right. And, and again, like I said, I feel like it's kind of shifting the way that I assessed I assess. Yeah, because you're right. It, it would fail that her and Trish, all their conversations have to do with men. Even when she's talking to her coven mates. Yeah. It's all about, I met a new man. Right. Oh, this, what's going on with that guy you met? Uh, yeah. So it's just, it's just interesting. It's just yeah. kind of like I'm having a little paradigm shift over here. So I think you're witnessing <laughs> it in progress. Okay. So that's what's happening. I love the way this movie ends too. Mm, yeah. I love the stabbing, but one of the things I think is so cool about the way that she did that is that as she's stabbing Griff, she sees the face of all the other men that have fucked her over or mm -hmm. that she's, you know, killed throughout this process. And then she basically lives out her fairy tale ending, but in this really sad way where she's got a dead body next to her and she's just envisioning it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a powerful ending. I think it was really beautifully done. I do like that she stabbed him three times in the heart, like the card she kept saying. Yes. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I kind of, I'm on the fence about whether, do you think it was a tragic ending? On some, in some ways it is, but also I kind of feel like in some ways she killed her fantasy. Yeah. And, and so she's kind of free. You can move on. So I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know. I guess it is a tragic ending, but I also kind of felt like she was sort of liberated at the end in a way that I found weirdly hopeful. Yeah. I mean, I did too. It didn't feel like a sad, depressing ending to me. No. So I have a question for you. Is mm, okay. Elaine the villain or the hero of the movie? Ooh, can she be both? <laughs> yeah, she could be both. I mean, I feel like she's kind of the hero of the movie. Right? Yeah. But I mean, she's also she is kind a of terrible. Predator and a villain. And a she bit. seduces and kills her only friend's husband. Yeah. Yeah. But I also find her deeply sympathetic. Right. No, totally. And the stuff with Trish is, I mean, that's all really interesting. Like the scene where Trish, you know, comes into her room and dresses up like her, like mm -hmm. single white females her. I mean, yeah, it's like she's not unwilling to hurt other women to meet her ends. Yeah. But yeah, she there is something still likable about her. You want her to win in the end. And right. I do think that there's something being said there about how these toxic ideas that are forced onto women also really hurt women's relationships with each other yes they have that fight yes. and she starts calling her like skank whore slut you know yeah bitch, or something like that so i think that there are just all these things that the director is trying to touch on and i think i find her somewhat sympathetic but she's not a pristine hero you know no. which is totally fine and yeah anti she's an anti-hero yeah 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 uh, mm -hmm. absolutely all right 
cons anything didn't work about this movie for you not really (laughs) that's totally fair i have kind of a minor criticism but it's just that this movie is long (laughs) yeah and this might be more might tell you more about me than it does (laughs) itself and i do think that there are times where there is you lose momentum and it meanders a little bit okay the kind of mitigating factor though is that no matter if the story's kind of slowed down or you kind of feel like a little lost in it, it's so pretty to look at. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always have something lovely to look at. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of really my only con. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see where you're coming from. I can tolerate, I think, longer movies than you tend. Sometimes you get frustrated when I don't. But I can see where that is. The only other thing... I can think of is just that this movie while it is really fun and has that sort of 60s pulp aesthetic going on mm-hmm. I can see it not working for some people for it's a sure very specific this is not style. a crowd pleaser kind of yeah. movie but yeah <laughs> the movies that we like rarely are <laughs> that's actually really they true. can't all be freaky okay <laughs> <laughs> I think that this movie has so many good things going for it that if you can tolerate the sort of really specific styling of it, that you'll enjoy it because it's just, I mean, it's just a feast for your eyes, like you said, and it has so many interesting things to say. And it's it's not really like anything I've ever seen. I mean, obviously, there are a million reference points to time period and other films, mm-hmm. but I do think it's unique you know yes oh absolutely it's it's a very odd film yeah but in a good way it's Mm -hmm. an outlier film like not odds not the right word it's an outlier film yeah yeah i don't know i i really like it i feel like i could talk continue talking about it forever i'm drawing a line because i could really (laughs) rabbit hole on some shit but uh i'm taking as the person who edits the podcast i shall take mercy on you (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i i again i feel yeah there are so many scenes in this movie like the the scene where her and Trish are fighting or even the Renaissance fair scene where you could you could talk about that court jester for like an hour. Yeah. There's just so much happening. You know what? The court jester maybe did you ever see that movie, the Ken Burns film about the priest he like lives in that walled city and the town turns on him because he has sex with someone and the nuns obsessed with him. The nuns go into like a sexual frenzy. It's none of this. The Ken Burns movie? Yes. No. Is it not Ken Burns? Well, Ken Burns does the documentaries. That's why I was wondering. Who am I thinking of if it's not Ken Burns then? I don't know. It has Vanessa Redgrave, uh, The Devils. Oh, wait. Is that the one that that Ken Sarah Russell, watched? not Ken Burns. <laughs> okay, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> You're like, the Civil War documentary? Yeah. <laughs> what? No, no, Ken, Ru- Ken, Ken Russell. Sorry, sorry, okay, sorry, okay, sorry, okay. sorry. <laughs> Is that the one that Sarah watched for her shame hole last year? It probably, probably. <laughs> yes. It has the yeah, I watched Reed that. Movie. You did yes. watch it? Yeah, where Vanessa Redgrave, she's really young and she plays a nun and yes. there's lots of weird sex stuff happening. Yes. And yes. yes. That movie is That's, fucking weird. That movie is so weird. But that scene where they go into the forest and they find the Ren Fair, for some reason, right. it totally reminded me yeah. of the beginning of this movie. That movie. <laughs> When they first get into the little town or whatever, and there's the yeah. festival going on, and everybody's just losing it over the priest. Yeah. I mean, it's all over there, rude. I, so, what are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> I mean, so I, he's my problematic crush. I know. He's terrible. Oh, really? Oh, God. Yes. He does things to me. I don't know what it is. It's that it's the mustache <laughs> and the dad bod. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. No, I see, see Jody that. gets it. Jody and I, yeah. we, we understand. We see each other and our weird sexual attraction to, to Oliver Reed. I can't. I, I remember on the Splattercast we had an Oliver Reed month. And, oh wow! Yes, and we watched a bunch of his movies, and I was just like, "Listen, I know he sucks, just... but he could fucking get it, dude. Yes, he could fucking get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> I know a little bit about why he's terrible, but I kind of am just like, he's dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know he was terrible, so we'll just. I mean, I you know he's a dude from the sixties, and yeah, yeah, that's fair. But it's fair. not like. I mean, what are we? We can't cancel him now. He's dead. <laughs> so, like, let me have this. <laughs> Can I fucking have this, please? <laughs> yeah, Oliver Reed. Whew. 
I mean, anyway. let's, let's be honest. You have slightly more problematic crushes, so <laughs> we can mm. let you have Oliver Reed. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Beerly and Markle stayed in that room. Uh-huh. They never said a single thing what? about the pillow. <laughs> I didn't either because I was waiting for them to be like, that's so, so funny. why do you have a pillow <laughs> with Vladimir Putin riding horse shirtless <laughs> on it? Like, I would ask. I would ask. But they never did. It just went That's unmentioned. So I would 100% For 10 ask. days. 10 days they were in my house. No one asked about the shirtless pooty poot. What? 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 <laughs> That's more shocking than having it. Is someone not asking about it? Maybe they were nervous to ask you. About if I could turn back time, I would have opened that present on Zoom. <laughs> because I know my face must have been hilarious. <laughs> the last thing I expected to come out of that package for me was a sequined pillow with Vladimir Putin on it. Rachel, it was torture because I didn't want to tell you it was coming because I wanted it just to be a complete surprise, but it sat in Lithuanian customs for over two months. <laughs> over two months. Oh my, it did come quite a bit after my birthday. And then I think I was like, who the fuck yeah. sent me this? <laughs> Whoever you are, you are a genius. <laughs> But yeah, mm-hmm. the first the first time I've had house guests since you sent that to me, not <laughs> a word. Weird. Not a single peep. <laughs> Nobody mentioned sequin Putin. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, maybe man. I need to move it out to the living room. <laughs> Come on, somebody right? say something. Except for I feel like I would give it away by constantly eye darting at it. Right, like, right. Someone gonna say something? Oh. <laughs> it's such a great conversation piece, though. <laughs> Although maybe it's better they didn't ask, and now they just they have to live with the question in their mind: Why does she have a sequin shirtless Vladimir Putin pillow? Yeah, maybe it's something they secretly talk about, right? They're like, Rachel's getting weird in her old age, man. She's getting real weird. She has said dosvidanya to her sanity. All right, enough of this madness. Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, I guess that is it for our review. Yes? No? Maybe? Yeah. So? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, we definitely want to know what you thought of this movie or if maybe there's a movie that you've been dying to hear us talk about. Whatever the case may be, you can drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com. If you enjoy the show, review us on iTunes. And yeah, if you're looking for something to watch tonight, you should head over to the Zombie Girls website and check out our VOD calendar, which has all of the upcoming horror movies and horror adjacent movies that are coming out on video on demand, but also on the streaming services. So you can find out what's good. And let me tell you, I updated it today. Shudder put out its list of movies for the next couple of months, and there is some good stuff that we will most definitely be covering on more deadly. So many awesome looking woman directed films hitting shutter. So in the next exciting. couple of months. And I'm not going to tell you what they are because I want you to go look at them on the calendar. <laughs> 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 and then also for those of you who are patrons, if you're not a patron, you should head over to our Patreon, check it out, become a patron. It's dope. It's where all the cool kids are. For instance, the cool kids are going to be hanging out with us after the credits. We're going to be talking about, love spells so that'll be fun right yeah you gotta join us yes yes you gotta join us it's the law you don't want to break the law anyway i I know i'm i'm out of my mind tonight i am out of my freaking gourd ariel rescue me for myself what are we watching on the next episode of more deadly all right so The first two weeks of 2021 have been a trying time. (laughs) It's been a very stressful couple of weeks. Yes, 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 yes. We are going to be watching something frivolous and goofy. Oh. We are going to be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know what? I have not seen that movie since the 90s. Really? Yes. I mean, I remember, obviously, Pee Wee's death. But yes. honestly, that's kind of the only thing I remember from oh, that movie. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, this will be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. All right, Buffy <laughs> the Vampire Slayer. I'm into yeah. it. And okay. you know what? I think it's good. We need something a little light and fluffy. Yeah. yeah. Treat ourselves. Treat yeah, ourselves. Definitely. Awesome. All right, cool. So I guess take us out.
All right. Thanks, guys, for listening to our review of The Love Witch. It was a ton of fun. We hope you enjoy it. And we also hope that you're going to join our Patreon and stick around after the credits to hear Rachel be super goofy. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, we will catch you back here in two weeks for our review of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.